Good morning. <laughs> uh, well, I want to do something here. I want to uh, invite you in right now to what has become really a weekly conversation around the dinner table at the Harrison House, okay? So uh, picture yourself around the dinner table or, or in our minivan because this happens in the minivan as well. We have this family activity that we like to do as a family and everyone except Nathan enjoys this activity. I dread it every time, but what happens it's called the note matching game. And what happens is, Kara, are you in here? My wife, there she is. Okay, so Kara, we'll do a demo for you. And uh, this is the only time you're gonna hear me sing over the mic ever, okay? Uh, Kara sings out a note, and then each member of the family has to try to match it, okay? So let me show you how this goes, honey. Ooh. No? All right. I wish I was messing around right now, but that's, that's how it goes. So here's the thing. Lainey, she nails the note every single time. True, um, our, our middle child, she nails the note every single time. Lincoln can hit the note, and then it gets to me. So, so that I don't feel so terrible about myself, we're all going to do this together, okay? Honey? <laughs> Wow, so that might have been incredible. That might have been lousy, I couldn't tell you because it's just not my gift. I, I don't know. I mean, we used to watch American Idol and this, uh, you know, the auditions are the best part because you have, you have like the, the um, just stars in the making, but then you have those that just, they, they need to be done. So we'd watch these auditions and uh, one would get done and I would look at Kara for cues as to what I need to be listening for, as good or bad. And I was like, that, that one's not going on, is it? And she's, it ended up like being the person who went on to win the whole competition. Then there were others that I was like, that was incredible. And she was like, no, that was terrible. For me, I'm just proud they got up and tried. So any, anyhow, um, here's what happens though. We'll, we'll play this game. And True, she just, she wears her heart on her sleeve and, and she'll tell you what she thinks. She's our, True is our truth teller. So um, she will get very intensely upset when I don't hit the note. And she has gone as far as like smacking her hand on the table and saying, Dad, we would be great at this if it wasn't for you. <laughs> and I, after I ugly cry a little bit, I, uh, and, you know, we, we get through it. But that brings up a question. Have you ever felt like you're on the cusp of potential, realized, but there's just like one thing in the way? That there's just something keeping you from that? For true, it's her dad in the note matching game. We could probably have an album, sell millions of records in her mind, but dad, dad has to get his voice in there. And, and I, I imagine as I talk to people that everybody has that area in life where you, there's so much potential and it feels like you're on the verge of it, but there's just something, something that keeps you from getting there. And, and the reason that I bring all this up is because as you, as, if you've been here, you know we are in the middle of a series on Ephesians. It was one of uh, Paul's letters to a church in a place called Ephesus. And for the first three chapters, as Thomas has walked, him, walked us through them the last few weeks, for the first three chapters, Paul is speaking to the potential of God's call. 
and it's this really high call, and there, there's really big language that Paul's using, and, and some of it's abstract. And I remember the first time I read it, I just went, what does this have to do with me? Like, I, I just, what does this have to do with me? And as you're going to see this morning, as we get into chapter 4, Paul is now shifting from the potential and the high calling of, of what God has called us to, to now the practical implications of what it all means. And so what he says at the beginning of chapter 4, he says, you know what, to the church, you know what you're like? You're like a body. You're like a body that has to function together in unison. And I remember reading that for the first time, and I went, that's great, but what does that have to do with me as an individual? And that's what we're going to talk about this morning, because Paul goes so far as to address the potential of God's calling, and then he talks about what that means for the church. But as we walk through this this morning, we're going to see exactly what it means for you and for me in our daily life, because there is so much potential. There is so much potential wrapped up in this, but there are some unique challenges that come with it. So we are going to be in Ephesians chapter 4 if you have your Bibles, otherwise it'll be up here on screen. But look at verse 7 of Ephesians chapter 4. He says, but to each one of us. Now I'm already stopping because when I was a teenager and I would read the Bible, I would open up and this is about how far I would get into it before I hit the off switch. So I want to I wanna just, um, I want to have us read this just slightly differently. But to each one of you. See, when, when somebody looks at you and says the word you, it's one of the most powerful words we can hear. And Paul is saying, this is a we thing, but this is a each one of us, you thing. But to each one of us, but to each one of you, grace Grace, so much in that word, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. In other words, you have been given something from Jesus himself. Verse 8, he says, this is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. Let me read that again. He ascended on high, took many captives and gave gifts to you. See, now it's personal because it's you and it's me. It's each one of us, but we've got to read that as you. See, a lot of times I think what we do when we read the Bible is we look at it in third person and we think, oh, well, that applies to other people, but maybe not me. And one of the first challenges that I think this brings up for us and one of the first things that Paul is highlighting is that when we see the gift, we see it in others, but we have a hard time seeing it in us. But God says, no, you have a gift. I gave you a gift, not just everybody else. Thomas referenced this a few weeks ago. Um, it's kind of like, uh, ladies, um, I don't know this feeling, but I, I've seen it plenty of times, um, and I've heard about it many of times. This is kind of like standing at your closet, and you open the closet door, and you say, fill in the blank, I have nothing to wear. Is there really nothing to wear in there? Okay, just to be fair, fellas, this happens every time we open the refrigerator, and we say, 
there is nothing to eat. That might be true sometimes, but is there really nothing to eat? No, but our perception of it, you know what we say? Nothing looks good. And if I'm being honest, just from my own personal journey, for too long, you know what I did? I looked at that phrase, that statement, Nathan, I've given you a gift, and it just didn't look good. And Paul says, you know what God wants you to know? God gave you, through Jesus Christ, gave you a gift, and it is good. So that's the first challenge. And the first way it lands individually, this high call of God, but he keeps going because there are some other dynamics to this. In verse 11, it says, so Christ himself gave the apostles. Okay, the apostles were those who were sent out. They were sent out to go different places. Paul was an apostle himself. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, those who would speak and proclaim the word of God. It goes on, the evangelists, those who would go proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers, those who would shepherd God's people and teach them out of his word, See, there, there are various roles here, and in fact, this is one of only a few lists in the New Testament. This is not exhaustive. There are other giftings that are there. There's exhortation. There's um, serving. There are miracles. There's, there's discernment. All kinds of gifts. But I think this raises something for us because I know it has raised something in my own life, that it's really, really easy to look at the gift that you and I have been given and we see it as a point of comparison, not a point of contribution to his body. You know how we test this? It's, it's the way, it's the culture we live in. Let me ask right now, who, you can just say it out loud, who is the greatest basketball player who has ever played the game? Michael Jordan. Any other names? <laughs> no. <laughs> I expected it to be way more polarizing than that, okay? But one of the, one of the big discussions that you, you can just turn on ESPN, and it's who's the greatest to ever play the game. You've got Michael Jordan. You've got LeBron James. You've got Kobe Bryant gets into that conversation from time to time. Um, wow, okay. <laughs> the compassion in this room. <laughs> uh, listen, those guys are great on a 10-foot hoop, okay? Clearly, you've never heard of Nathan Harrison on a 6-foot hoop. I am dominant, especially last week. I don't worry that he's four years old. I played Lincoln. Last week, messed around and got a triple-double, all right? It was, it was incredible. But you know what? One person finally shed light on this whole Michael Jordan, LeBron James conversation. He said, why are we comparing these two? Michael Jordan, was a, he played a position called point guard. It's a different position on the floor. They do a different thing. Sure, everybody's trying to get the ball in the hoop and keep the other team from keep getting the ball in the hoop. But Michael Jordan was a point guard. LeBron James is a forward. And so the way they even fit into the whole strategy, it's two totally different things. And you know what happens? It shows up completely differently on a stat sheet. Completely differently. And so here, you have two incredibly gifted guys. And what do we do? We compare them. Why? Because that's the thinking of the culture that we live in. 
And Paul would say, not in the church. Not in the church because you have been given a gift not to be compared with somebody else's gift. You and I have been given gifts that contribute to the body of Christ. What I loved that this basketball analyst said, he said, can we stop comparing these two? Because what they've both done for the game of basketball and contributed to it, that speaks louder than any comparison you can make. And yet we go there. That's our thinking. And so that's another challenge of this whole gifting thing that Paul is talking about. Well, there's another aspect to all this. In verse uh, 12, let me start back at 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. That is just one part of a sentence and there is so much in it. But you know what I noticed as I read this? These are words that move. These are verbs. But a lot of times, I think, I think we get it backwards. I think that we think, this is the stuff I've got to do in order to earn the free gift of salvation. And then afterward, it's a noun. It's a thing that sits there on the shelf of my life. Paul would say, no, no, no. You received the salvation already. The result, the fruit of that salvation is a verb. It equips. There are works of service. It serves. It builds up. But too often we mix that up and we get that turned around. In other words, the other challenge that we face when we're trying to figure out how does the high call of God and its potential land in my life individually? Well, we often see it as a noun when it's a verb. Uh, when I was 20 years old, I, uh, I, needed to, I needed money. I needed to make money. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to start a lawn business. And so I started Holy Ground Aerations, and um, the, basically without nerding out on you guys right now about uh, lawns, lawn everything, we in Colorado have clay soil. And so one of the things you have to do to the soil here is you've got to loosen it up. And so you've, some of you have probably had it done. You get your lawn aerated. It, it pokes holes in the soil so that water and nutrients can get down there. Well, I thought, I'm going to do that. And so I wanted to get the money together for an aerator, and I found a used one, and uh, I was about $300 short of buying it. And so my parents, they gave me $300 to go get this aerator. So I got this aerator. I was all excited. You know what it did for about the first three months that I had it? It sat on a shelf in the garage. It just sat there. Didn't do anything with it. And so a few months later, I was like, man, I don't have any money. And my dad was like, you do have an aerator that somebody helped you get. Somebody helped give to you. And I went, oh my gosh, that was the light bulb moment I needed. I had forgotten all about it. And over the next seven years, um, because I count everything, I did about 3,000 aerations with that thing before it finally died. That worked out to about $90,000 worth of business, most of which I feel like 100% of it went back to taxes, but that's another story. Anyhow, did you know the gift you've been given is a verb? It's got to be put to use, Paul says. It, 
It actually serves a purpose. It equips, it serves, it builds up. And, and all this is pointing to, it, it's all pointing to something that Paul is about to finish this thought with. In verse 14, here's what he says. <clears throat> 13, sorry, <laughs> 13. He says, until we all reach unity. Unity. Do you want to know what one of the last things Jesus prayed for his disciples was? Unity. On the last night of his life, which probably means it was pretty important, he prayed for unity. That when everybody is using their gift, when they've discovered it, when they haven't distorted it, when they, when they decide to use it, you know what happens? It creates unity. Unity in what? Unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. And the result of that, the body becomes mature. Do you want to know what one of the threads throughout Scripture is? That we mature. See, God plants seeds and they, they grow. We were born and we grow. What God does throughout Scripture grows. It matures. And so Paul is saying, there's this really high call of God, but it starts with every single person discovering and using their gift. It'll create unity, which creates maturity, and the result of that, he says, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Paul is getting some, to something here. It's a reminder that, honestly, I, we can't miss. As a church, we cannot miss. God is looking at the church. You know what he's saying? I have given you everything you need to grow into everything I need. I've given you, church, everything you need to grow into, to become everything I need. And it's not that a God is needy and he needs us. It's that God chose to do it this way. He chose to do it this way. And what does he need us for? Well, four times in Ephesians. You know what it says? You know what Paul references? God wanted to make a statement, an example, to settle once and for all in the heavenly realms. The powers and the principalities. He wanted to send a message of his power, of his might, that he is sovereign. He's the one true living God. That's the high call that Paul is referencing in the first three chapters. And here in chapter four, he says, all the way down to the church, all the way down to each member of the church, you play a part. Your gifting, your gifting is what he uses for our growing. And so he goes on. He fleshes this out a little bit more in verse 14. He says, then we will no longer be infants. There's that maturity piece again. We don't naturally stay infants. We grow. And Paul says it's the same. It should be the exact same with the church. We should mature and grow. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Do you want to know the implications 
when, when we don't discover our gifting that he's given us, we get deceived. We get deceived and suddenly we start looking around and we think, well, that looks like a good way. And that looks like a good way to do it. Maybe that's how we grow a church. Maybe that's how we get life into our church. When we distort our gifts, same thing. When we know we have gifts and we don't put them into use, same thing. It was so interesting to me. I, I get, you know, you, once your email address is out there, you get on these lists. I actually got an email two weeks ago, and no joke. So the subject line says, want to see the Holy Spirit move in your church? I was like, okay, this has sales written all over it. Click on it, and it, it goes into this program that for, for 10 payments of $49.95, you can see the Holy Spirit move in your church. And I thought... It's a sad commentary on our culture, but it shouldn't surprise us. It shouldn't surprise us. Paul says, no, it's free. It's a gift. It's already been given. God has given everything we need to grow into everything he needs. But I get concerned. I get concerned that there could be people sitting here that don't know, that they have a spiritual gifting. Yes, we have talents and, and um, like those hard skills, you know, spreadsheets or you can run fast or whatever it is, but, um, or, or basketball on a six-foot hoop. I'm telling you, you should come over someday. We'll play, all right? But Paul says, no, there's a spiritual gifting. And I get concerned that we don't know that gifting. I get concerned that we distort that gifting I get concerned that we know it, but we don't use it. In 1917, in 1917, actually, the, the implications became very real. They became huge. In Russia, the communists took over in Russia in 1917. And one of the first things they did was not to persecute the church. They actually left the church alone. But you know what they did? Something probably far more brilliant from their strategy. They took away the church's right to serve. And so things like feeding the hungry and housing the homeless and educating the masses. You know what the state government in Russia did? They said, we'll do that now. We'll do that. And as a result, the church, it lost its purpose in Russia. That whole equipping for works of service and building up, that was gone totally gone because it became a function of the state rather than the church where it was intended to be. And I want to go back and I want to look at them and say, did, did you not know? Did you not know the gifting you've been given? Or, or did you somehow distort it? Or did you know you had it, but you didn't use it? And 70 years later in Russia, the church became largely irrelevant. It pretty much died out of everyday life in Russia. And I'm convinced it's because the church did not recognize its gifting. And so, I think about West Bowles. I think about the church worldwide, but I go, oh my goodness, do we know our gifting? Have we distorted it? Do we know we have it and we don't use it? And so with that in mind, I, I just want to address two groups in the room real quick. The first are those of you who are here and maybe you're in church for the first time and you don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus and guess what? You're off the hook. 
you're off the hook. But let me say this. One time, one time in the process of trying to impress somebody with all, all my talents and hard skills and talking about everything I could do, I got done with all that. And you know what they said? Nathan, that's, that's all great. But I think, I think God has called you to more than that. I think he has gifted you with more than skills that are going to stop when your time here on earth is done. I think he's gifted you in such a way that you can contribute to the growth of his body. And that will extend far beyond our physical timeline here on earth. But you got to know that the only way you discover that gifting is, is in the context of a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's the only way you discover it. And we'll talk about that in more detail in just a second here. But I remember being offended. I remember thinking, you don't even know me, bro, okay? But at the end of the day, I knew they were right. I knew there was more than what I was depending on to make my way in this life. Now, for those of us in the room who consider ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, we've got to read the next verse because this should apply in a big way to us. Verse, verse 15, instead, speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love. I think it's time to shift the conversation a little bit because it's easy to wonder what we're doing and it's easy to make comparisons and it's easy to assume somebody else is gonna do the work of the building up of the body of the church. Paul says, no, no, no. We keep each other in that. Speaking the truth in love. It, this should provide a filter for everything, every conversation we have, everything we say to one another. He says, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Each part does its work. You know what that means? Speaking the truth in love, it means that we should have permission and we should have freedom to go to one another and point out, you have a gifting and I see it and you may not see it yet, but I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you see it. I'm going to help you unearth it. We should have the permission and the freedom as the body of Christ to look at one another and go, you know what? I, I think you're distorting this a little bit. This is not a comparison thing. This is a contribution thing. So how can you work together with this part to mature the body of Christ? And we should have the permission and the freedom to go to one another and say, you have a gifting and you know you have a gifting. Jump in jump in. That is the most loving truth you can speak to somebody. You want, you want to know how I know that? Because one time somebody did that for me. They said, Nathan, you don't even see what he's put in you. And so they kept reminding me. They kept encouraging me. They kept praying for me. 
There have been times people have come to me and they said, Nathan, you're getting this a little distorted. This is not about you. This is about the body of Christ. And so use this to serve others. And there have been times where people have come to me and said, you know your gift. Use it. It's a verb. That's how we can speak to one another lovingly. Because God's statement to the church, well, he's given us everything we need to become everything he needs. And so one night at the end of dinner, after we'd done this note matching game, true, after, after an outburst and, and after my ugly crying episode, not really, but I was, my feelings were really hurt. Anyway, I was, I was putting her to bed and we were laying there talking and True does this thing. She leans over and she says, Dad, I love you to the moon and back. And then I look back at her and this is what we do. I say, I love you to the moon and back. And she said, I love you forever and ever. I said, I love you forever and ever. And she said, your singing is terrible. <laughs> and we need to figure out your job. <laughs> And so we've figured out this thing. I, I did it actually at the beginning. Kara sings the note. The kids hit the notes. I just point at them and tell them when it's time to start. And guess what? It sounds great, and everybody has a purpose. <laughs> but I think that's exactly what God wants to reveal to each and every single person here. He says the potential here is enormous, and I've given you everything you need, church, to grow into everything I need. Let us be a church that lives up to our fullest potential. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you so thankful for the glorious riches, as Thomas referenced last week in chapter 3, the glorious riches that you have chosen to use to strengthen us. And we know that maybe the clearest evidence of those glorious riches is the gift Jesus Christ gave us in our salvation, but also in the working of that salvation through us, in the lives of your church body and in the world around us. And so I pray this week that you would put on our minds, put on our minds to pursue you and to find that gift. And it's in your precious son's name, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.